0: Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelsner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and you are listening to the Social Media Marketing Podcast this is the show for marketers and for business owners who want to know what works with social media. And I am so excited about today's show. Uh, uh, you're going to love it. I've got an excellent interview with Michael Hyatt coming up, and we're going to talk about blogging. And if you don't know who Michael is, he's the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Platform, and he's also the former CEO of Thomas Nelson. In today's podcast, we're going to explore how to create blog content that people go crazy over, that they absolutely love. And speaking of love, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Um, I I want to thank you for for going back and listening to some of the previous podcasts and subscribing. It's just been incredible. I've been getting so many emails from so many people saying that they just absolutely love this thing. So uh, I just want to say thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. So let me go ahead and introduce uh, my find of the week. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. I've got a free resource that I want to share with you. If you are looking for a place to get some help on social media or on blogging, let's just say that um, you're new to it or maybe you're not new to it, but you're looking for a place where you can throw out a couple of ideas get some help, maybe get your questions answered. And maybe you've been sending emails out to people and they just haven't been responding or they want money. I was recently at social media marketing world, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at social media examiner, the best of the best So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's go ahead and transition over to today's interview with Michael Hyatt. Helping you simplify your social
1: safari. Here's this week's expert guide.
0: I am so excited to be joined today by Michael Hyatt. If you don't know who Michael is, he's the author of the New York Times best selling book, Platform Get Noticed in a Noisy World. He's the former CEO of Thomas Nelson, and he's also the host of the very popular podcast, This Is Your Life. And as a matter of fact, I listen to that podcast all the time, and Michael also blogs at michaelhyatt.com. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Hey, well, thanks for coming on. So today we're going to talk about, we could talk about a lot of things, but we're really going to talk about blogging today. We're going to Hello. talk about how um, Michael creates blog posts that drives enormous traffic to his website, and if you haven't been to his website, he's got an envious website for an individual, perhaps one of the biggest that I've seen. Um, Michael, let's talk about kind of, how did you get started with blogging? You know, I started back in 2004
1: really as a way to communicate with my own employees when I was the CEO at Thomas Nelson. And I thought, you know, this is a way for me to do something that's a little bit more innovative than just delivering, you know, my standard email, uh, newsletter. And then somebody else said, well, why don't you open it up for the public? And I thought, well, that's kind of a cool idea. And it could be maybe an archive for my best thinking, and a way for me to to work out what I think on various topics, and so I just started with really not a lot of ambition, but just uh, some interest in communicating with uh, the people that I knew best. How
0: often were you blogging back then?
1: Uh, sporadically, <laughs> uh, like so many bloggers, you know, I would uh, go in fits and starts. You know, I'd get really excited about it initially, and I, I I'm kind of a closet geek, and so the technology was really intriguing. And at that time, I was on TypePad. And so, you know, I would blog three or four times a week for, I don't know, maybe two weeks, <laughs> and then I might not touch it for a month. And so it was very erratic, and it and it definitely um, showed up that way in my traffic.
0: So let's fast forward to um, where you are today, then let's go back and kind of talk about where your inflection point was. So talk a little bit about your blog today. Um, first of all, what do you blog about today? And maybe share, if you would be willing, some of the stats about kind of where you've be, you know, where you are today, as far as your sure, absolutely. Yeah. I'd be happy
1: to, um, you know, what I blog about the, and sort of the subtitle of my blog at michaelhyatt.com is intentional leadership. So I'm all about living and leading intentionally. And, and I've kind of meandered, uh, through my career as a blogger, trying to find my voice and, and my subject area, area specialty. And I've gone through several of those, but I've been pretty stable on this for about the last four years, uh, on the topic of leadership. But I also talk about social media I talk about productivity. I talk about the world of publishing. That's the world I came out of. And so those are uh, principally the topics. But I just finished up my analysis for this last month, and I always try to look at my metrics uh, at least once a month and do a little bit of a deeper dive. But uh, I had 306,000 unique visitors this last month. I averaged about uh, three to 400 blog comments a day. A day? A day, Wow. And what's really been interesting about my blog is that about half of my traffic comes from older posts, posts that I've written two, three, four years ago. Really? And I have a very specific strategy for keeping those visible so that they don't just kind of like sink into the abyss of my archives. But I keep those visible, and a lot of traffic comes to that, and I get comments on older blog posts. Um, a lot of blog, a lot of comments every day on older blog posts, and I take the time to answer those questions and respond to them as I can.
0: Okay, so uh, you planted a little tease there. I'm going to take you up on it. What's your secret to, uh, in this particular case, getting those older blog posts to kind of keep up to date? You, you kind of alluded to something there.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. One of the things I did was I changed, and and I don't want to get too geeky on you, but in WordPress, you can determine what the permalink or the URL structure is. And a lot of people structure it so, like in my case, it might be michaelhyatt.com forward slash, then the date, and then the name of the post. Right. Well, that's a bad idea. Uh, The reason for that is because when you put the date in the post, the further you get away from that date, the more dated the content seems. And, And for many people, and for me included, most of the content I write is timeless. It doesn't have a shelf life. It would be just as relevant if you found it two years from now as if uh, you read it today when I wrote it. So I decided to get rid of the visibility of the date. The other thing I did was instead of having a date that I wrote the post at the top of the post, you know, I completely removed it from the top of the post and I put it at the very bottom because I didn't want to prejudice people who landed on that page for whatever reason to think, oh yeah, this isn't fresh, it's dated, it therefore must be irrelevant. And that's kind of the assumption that people go through. So get rid of the date and get rid of the visibility of the date. Have it there for reference, but, but don't have it right at the top. The next thing I do is that I um, schedule tweets, and I'm not a big fan of scheduled tweets, but there are some cases where I make an exception, and this is one of them. But I took my 90 um, highest trafficked blog posts of all time, and I created a text file with a pre-written tweet for each one of those that basically intrigued people and pulled them to that content. So my 90 top posts of all time. And then I use a service called social oomph. I use that. Do you? I love it. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've ever tried the bulk upload feature, but you could, I can take all my 90 posts and upload them and say, I want you these spaced 24 hours apart. No way. 7 p.m. central. And I have one, one tweet that fires off every night at 7 p.m. for one of my older posts. And that's what drives the traffic.
0: Michael, I'm just going to tell you that some of the bloggers that are listening to this, their head is exploding because this is such a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I love it. And you know where I got this
1: from was being in the book publishing world. You know, we have two kinds of books. We have the new books, the books that we haven't yet published, the books that have just come out. And then we have what's called our backlist, you know, this archive of content that is phenomenal. And most publishing companies, particularly large publishing companies like Thomas Nelson, 50, per, 50 to 60% of their revenue will come off the backlist. So stuff they've published in years gone by, huh. but most bloggers don't have a strategy for this. So they write it and then it disappears and it's gone forever. So they're only as good as their most recent post.
0: Wow. This is brilliance. So, okay, let's get into the, um, the fundamentals or the, uh, the structure or, um, I'm not thinking of the right word here, but how you've written a lot. I mean, give me a quick estimate. How many blog posts do you think you personally written? Um, I've written probably about 1400. That's crazy. Okay. So you've gotten a lot better over time. Obviously when you first wrote your blog post to where you are today, I'm sure you probably, if you've done a comparison, you might actually laugh. I would imagine.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: So, so now that you've mastered this, what is your secret to writing blog posts that really, um, work?
1: Well, I I think one of the big secrets is that I really try to start from the reader's perspective, and this was like a major, like a Copernican revolution, where I suddenly realized that I wasn't at the center of the universe uh, anymore, but my reader is really at the center of the universe. And to try to frame everything in terms of their needs, and as somebody's said, and I think this is true, people are are uh, tuned into why FM. You know, what's in it for me? Right. And so I think you've got to uh, approach your writing from that particular viewpoint if you're going to be successful. What are their hopes? What are their fears? What are their frustrations, the obstacles? And particularly, I think, Michael, you've got to realize that as a blogger who's writing in a specific subject, that there are things that you know that you take for granted that other people would would love to know and would be so grateful if you would take the time to deconstruct it and explain it to them. So that's kind of the secret sauce for me, starting from the reader's perspective, and don't assume that everybody knows what I know.
0: So, that's a that's a that's a very important thing because um I think so many people today are writing blog posts that are opinion pieces and I don't think most people care about other people's opinions and I think you said it really well they care about what's in it for them and generally that's like the the how-to stuff and I'm guessing your how-to stuff is the stuff that that's probably done the best for you am I right
1: Yeah absolutely I mean I I I'll give you an example I I wrote a post uh a couple of years ago now called Uh, It's a clever title, so get ready. It's called Fix for Wireless Connection Problems on the MacBook Pro. That's like still to this day, any day you want to look at it, it's going to be one of the most trafficked blog posts that I have because evidently it solves a problem that people have, this connection problem that people have with MacBook Pros or MacBook Airs. And I just had the problem, and I Googled it. I figured out how to solve it. I got it solved, and then I documented it, and I get a lot of search engine uh, traffic from people looking for that. Or here's another one. How to set up Google Calendar on your iPhone. You know, there's probably some people listening to this right now that are going, oh my gosh, I've been been trying to figure that out for months. But I just documented the procedure, you know, figured it out for myself, documented it, and that brings me a ton of traffic every day. So I'm just solving, frankly, my own problems, believing that it's going to solve some other people's problems in the
0: process. So what I hear you saying is that you think about every discovery that you make when you're trying to solve a problem is also a potential piece of content.
1: Absolutely. This is like the curse of being a blogger, right? It's kind of (laughs) like you buy a a camera for the first time and you're walking around and everything becomes a potential picture. (laughs) Same thing as a blogger, you know, everything becomes a potential post. The cool thing about this is it reframes all the bad experiences I have. Like if I have a bad customer service experience and I go, oh, that's going to be cool because I can write a blog post about that. (laughs) So it, it suddenly redeems it.
0: But you know, the, 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 brilliance of it on the flip side is that, you know, that others are probably having the same struggles. They may go out to a search engine and they may type in a query and then you'll have the answer to it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just, uh,
1: and I ask myself the question, is this problem that I'm experiencing or what I'm going through, do other people have this kind of problem? And sometimes I'll do some search or some work on keywords, but, um, Uh, but yeah, that's where it
0: starts. So, okay. So this kind of does lead into my next question, which is about topics beyond the, um, random experiences that you have with your MacBook. How do you decide what kind of topics you want to write about specifically when it comes to your mission, you know, in the purpose of your blog, in this case, um, um, I'm at a loss for words, uh, leadership, intentional leadership.
1: Yeah, well, I definitely use that as a filter, and so sometimes I have to reframe it as a leadership lesson. You know, so you know, if I want to write about, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of a random idea. But uh, a while back, I wrote on an uh, an issue having to do with a uh, sports figure that this happened in Nashville to the Nash, or to the Tennessee Titans, and I can't even remember who the who the player was, but I reframed it as a leadership issue. So sometimes it just takes. Uh, looking at a current event or something that's happened and reframing it, sometimes it means that you have to say no to things that might be interesting, might generate a lot of traffic, but it's not organic to your site. So it's not going to stick even if you get it. So you just have to kind of be willing to prune and say no to that in order to get really focused and really good at what you do and where where your focus area and your expertise lies.
0: Let's say that you are a blogger who was writing about personal productivity and you've written what you think is your best blog post on personal productivity. And now you feel like you've got nothing else to write. What do you say to them? I'd say publish it.
1: I tell you what, I think, Michael, that this is a case, and this is just kind of my, my word, but how I look at the world, but it's a matter of stewardship, that you're not going to get more till you are faithful with what, with what you've been given. And for me, everything I've been given is for other people. So I want to give it away. And I don't get more till I do give it away. And so I know a lot of people say, well, I want to reserve my best stuff for my own book or for some other project or for my member site, or whatever. I say, give it away. I mean, there's so much stuff if you have an abundance mentality that will show up, but it doesn't show up until you give it away. So I'm, I try to be generous in that regard and in, in, uh, always, always trying to give my best stuff and make my best effort.
0: I'll, I'll give you a quick little story. This happened to me. I wrote a 10-page piece called How to Write a White Paper, a white paper on white papers. And it was everything that I knew at the time. And my editor said, are you crazy? You're giving away all your secrets. And I said, well, I just think something good is going to come out of this. And, and and I ended up getting enormous amounts of feedback from it. And I ended up writing a book that was like 300 pages. And then that was everything that I knew. But little did I know I went on to write hundreds of blog posts on it that it could have been two or three more books on it. So I think what you're saying is true. The more you um, begin digging into these things and writing these, the more you realize there's all these other areas and all these other things that you could write about. And it's almost endless, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Yeah, it really is endless. And and sometimes you just have to get that out to make space for the new stuff that you're going to uh, bring in. But I totally agree with that philosophy.
0: So let's talk about um, the headline. I know you're a big proponent of writing successful headlines. Can you share any tips for creating headlines that will be more successful uh, or, or or maybe said a different way? What's the difference between a good headline and a not so good headline?
1: Well, a good headline is one that uh, prompts the reader to read the rest of the post And, you know, the truth is most people are scanning headlines. They're not reading blog posts. And like I subscribe via uh, RSS, about 200 blogs. I look at them every morning and I don't read 200 blog posts, but I subscribe to 200 blogs. And so I'm scanning headlines. If the headline doesn't arrest my attention, doesn't get my attention, I'm not going to go any further. And it happens in a few seconds. You've got a few seconds to live. And so a headline has got to be relevant. It's got to target a need. It's got to create intrigue. It's got to do something that makes the scanning uh, reader stop and read further. And and I I really advise bloggers, get proficient at copywriting. You know, read some books on copywriting, take some courses. I went to an entire boot camp on copywriting several years ago, about 12 years ago, is one of the most helpful things I ever did. But um, I could make a couple of recommendations. Like one of the, one of the books that I absolutely love that's uh, right next to my computer, I use it almost every day, and it's kind of got a funky title, but it's called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich by David Garfinkel. And here's what's the cool thing that he does is he, he kind of deconstructs about 20 different best-selling headlines, uh, headlines that pulled in the past. He deconstructs those and reapplies them to a lot of different industries and it just gets your creativity stimulated, but you le- learn in that the mechanics of what it takes to write a really, really great headline. And if you're blogging consistently, you get an opportunity to practice on
0: this, uh, you know, from day to day on your blog posts. David's a great copywriter, um, and I, I would strongly recommend that book. Another thing that you can do is take a look at the front of a magazine, maybe even some books, right? Mike? Michael, because yeah. um, those <laughs> things are all headlines, right? And look at the best-selling titles of some of these books. It might be a bit of a clue as to what seems to grab people's attention because I'm with you. If you can't get past the title, then no one's ever going to read the darn article, right?
1: No, that's right. And, I, and so that's why I just constantly am educating myself on this. You know, another great resource, Copy blogger has a series called How to Write Magnetic Headlines. And, um, you know, you just I just test and keep trying different things. And I sometimes they're really long. But you can't, one, one big mistake I think that bloggers often make is they have a clever headline that makes sense once they explain it, except that they're not going to be there explaining it to you when you're scanning. And so you've got to the, uh, cut to the chase and tell people what it is you're writing about. It can be intriguing but it can't be one of these clever things that leaves people in doubt because if they're confused, if they don't get it, they just bounce off of it and go to something else.
0: Absolutely. Now, um, one thing I also noticed about your blog is you're a real big user of photography. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your use of images in your blog posts?
1: Yeah, I use photography for the same reason that magazines and newspapers use it. Again, it's another way to stop a perspective or browsing reader and pull them into the content. And most of us tend to be pretty uh, visually oriented. So if we can see something, we comprehend it much faster than if we have to read a bunch of text uh, to get it. At least we establish the relevancy of it with the right image. And I do, I get all my images. This is just me, but I get mine from iStock Photo. Good sign. And the, you, know, you can go to Flickr, you can go to, you know, there's a lot of services out there. But find something where you can uh, have a database and search on keywords and get to what you need pretty quickly. But I, I typically put in, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20 minutes per blog post, I'm just trying to find the right uh, photo. And I reject a lot of them, the ones that are cliched, you know, and and by that, I mean, you know, the kind of the classic example of uh, the two people shaking hands to demonstrate relationship, you know, that's like one of the most overused photos on the planet. So I I try to really stay away from cliched photos, I really try to include multiracial, multigenerational photos that reflect kind of the uh, the diversity of my audience and so I think you have to be very intentional or conscious about that as well.
0: you know if you think about um, the importance of the headline and the fact that you just have mere seconds to grab people, I think the image also goes very closely with with the headline because people will look at an image um, and mentally have a picture in their mind. And I think the, what you do great on your blog is you've got this big image and you've got the headline and those things kind of just help people immediately see what this is about and make the decision. Am I going to invest my time in this or not? And I think that's, that, that's great. Now, um, you earlier mentioned, Michael, that you have crazy number of comments per article. So I want to kind of help me understand, the structure of your blog post, or how in the world you're getting um, people to to want to leave a comment, is there some sort of process to that that you do in the way you end the blog post, or in the way you structure the entire thing to kind of guide them down that path?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, first of all, I see my role as a blogger as somebody who has the privilege of leading important conversations. So I'm not there to pontificate. I'm not there to teach primarily, but I'm there to start a conversation and get the ball rolling. But that conversation is going to continue in my uh, comments and in my blog community. So um, I try to end every single blog post. I don't try to end. I do end every single blog post with a question, with an open-ended question that invites participation. And what I'm after as a blogger is I want them not only talking back to me, but I want them talking to one another so that there really are various discussions that are going uh, on as a result of that blog post. So just ending with a question and being intentional about that can really move the ball down the field with regard to getting more blog comments.
0: Can you give me an example, even if it's just hypothetical of the type of question you might end a post with?
1: Yeah. Like for example, I, uh, one of the blog posts I've written is, uh, don't send that angry email. And most of us can relate to the fact of, you know, where we've, where we've gotten angry at something, we cooked up some email and then we hit the send button when we really shouldn't have and learned to, to regret it. So I, I talk about that and how to keep that from happening and some things I've learned. And I, tell a story about doing it. And, and then I just end it by asking the question, you know, w- w- has there ever been a time in, for you in recent memory where you sent an angry me- uh, email and, and uh, regretted it? Well, people love to tell their stories. And so that just gets a lot of conversation going.
0: Do you let them converse mostly with each other or do you actually have um, you, know, you or someone on your team going in there and commenting and kind of getting the discussion stoked, if you will? Yeah, here's uh, that's a great question. Um, actually, I believe
1: that my responsibility is that I've got to prime the pump. So first thing in the morning, after I've kind of gone through my my morning routine and I'm at my computer now, I will answer the first, I don't know, 10 or 15 uh, comments. You know, I don't answer every single comment. I think that's a little overkill and it doesn't scale, But I but I answer enough to let people know that I'm present and accounted for and I'm reading their comments. And I really do read almost all the comments. Then I have a community of volunteers. These are my community leaders. And this was a suggestion from a friend of mine, Andy Traub. And it was a huge help to me when I solicited from my community. I said, I want 10 community leaders that will help monitor the conversation and not to police it. That's not the metaphor. I want them to be co-hosts with me and for them to be helpful and steer people to resources that will answer their questions in more uh, detail and with greater depth. And also to just draw them out to ask that second question that so often doesn't get asked, but whatever the next question is that, that takes the conversation to a little, uh, deeper level. So I, uh, I had about a hundred people apply for that. I picked 10. They have been phenomenal. So that's awesome looking at that every day.
0: That is awesome. And I also noticed you use the discuss comment system on your site, uh, D I S Q U S for those that are, um, listening in, I don't know if you were aware or not, but discuss has recently added gamification to, um, to their, their plugins, so that people can be ranked based on their uh, participation on your blog and how often they comment. And there's like a little leaderboard. Were you aware of that? Uh, no, I wasn't aware of it because I haven't converted
1: to the new version. There's one thing that the new version won't do. That's very important to me, which is to highlight my moderator's comments or my community leaders comments. Ah, so
0: gotcha. Yeah. I have not updated either, to be honest with you, but since you have this community, um, Maybe something worth looking into, but yeah, but definitely. I think it's a brilliant. It, it makes a lot of sense why you have so many comments because people know it's a community that they can come to and they can get you know interaction, which I think is brilliant. Um, yeah.
1: can I just ask what, or just say one other thing? One yeah, of the things ahead. we try to do also is we don't do many much of this, but just having a presence keeps a lot of spam from happening and a lot of those comments that you see on so many other people's blogs where people
0: are just getting nasty. Yeah. That
1: just doesn't happen in my community for the same reason that graffiti doesn't happen in occupied neighbors neighborhoods.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. Um, I also noticed that you do the occasional um, video interview. For example, I was recently checking out your Max Lucado interview where you were interviewing him about his his book, Grace, and um, there were a crazy number of comments for that one, like 463 comments. I think the thing had only been up there for a day or two. Um, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on video interviews of experts as part of a blogging strategy? You know, I I think
1: this is really one of the fun things uh, about blogging. Frankly, I wished I did more of this, but I love to interview people. I'm a naturally curious uh, person. And as it turns out, I get credit for it on my blog if I just bring it to them. And I see myself as a steward of the community's interests. So my job is not just to serve up all the great content, but it's to invite people that can provide great content that I know my tribe or my community will enjoy. And so I just, I approach it with that uh, perspective. If somebody has expertise or they can say it better than I would say it or say something I've said in a different way, I love to invite those people on and, and interview them. And sometimes it's as simple as a Skype interview, you know, real low fidelity, not that great of production. Uh, people don't seem to care sometimes. And like the Max Licato one, um, I worked with the publisher and we set up three interviews in one afternoon and they had a video crew and the whole thing. That was kind of fun. And I do a thing also with Chick-fil-A where um, at, their, at their leader cast every year, I get to interview all the people, all the speakers backstage. That's a very produced event, but it doesn't have to be expensive or produced.
0: Well, and you know, I'm just going to add a little two cents here. Um, you know, this podcast is all about interviewing people and um, people love to hear from experts. Um, and it it's a it's a really great form of content, and you don't have to be the expert. Michael's the expert. Michael Hyatt's the expert, you know. And if you can ask great questions, um, it can be some really spectacular content. I think a lot of people overlook that.
1: Well, and I think if you look at people like Larry King or Oprah, I mean, people have built enormous careers and empires even uh, based on that format. Oh, so yeah,
0: Barbara Walters.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So um. One more question before I ask where folks can learn more about you, Michael, um, you have a little box at the very top of your blog that offers a free ebook. Can you share a little bit about why it's important to grow your email list with your blog and and maybe explain what you're doing with that ebook? Yeah, I think the most important asset
1: that I have is my email newsletter list. Um, you know, the RSS feeds, you know, there's a lot of bait, debate about whether Google's going to pull the plug on feed burner or not, you know, who knows. But all that all that to say is that I, I don't have the same kind of control over the people who read me via RSS as I do over an email uh, subscription. And there's nothing, not too much that's more intimate than showing up in somebody's email inbox. Now, not everybody likes that. Frankly, I don't like it, but a lot of people do and people file them away. They do a lot of stuff. So, All that to say is that this is an audience that I know I can get to when I need to and I can go directly to them because I know where they live. There's nothing that's more important to me in terms of assets as a blogger uh, than that email newsletter list. But I also realized that I needed some sort of inducement uh, to get people to sign up. And so what I created, and this was about a year and a half ago, I created a book uh, that's about 80, 90 pages called Creating Your Personal Life Plan. And I really put a lot of thought and time into that. I mean, this wasn't just like a throwaway where somebody takes a a blog post and turns it into an ebook, but this was actually a book that I sat down and wrote. It's not long. Then I designed it, actually designed it in keynote and I did it myself. And then I made that available free for anybody that was subscribed. I've had over 176,000 downloads on that. I just checked this yesterday as a matter of fact. So, you know, it's been a huge driver on my, um, on my email list. And so now I've got, you know, close to a hundred thousand people that hear from me every time I do a blog post. And it's a, and it's also an audience that I can go to when I'm trying to promote a product.
0: You know, and folks, this has really been essential for a social media examiner. We hired, um, Amy Porterfield, who is a Facebook expert to do a, um, 90 minute Facebook tutorial, exclusive and every time Facebook changes, we rehire her, and the only way to get it is to get on our newsletter and that's how we've gotten our one hundred and eighty five thousand subscribers on our newsletter Wow, and it it you know whether you do an ebook or you hire someone to do a little video for you um this stuff really does work, and I think as as you know, Michael, there's really nothing more powerful. I mean, you can mobilize people pretty quickly with an email, can't you? I would imagine when you sent out your email about, for example, the Max Locato interview, that's probably part of the reason why you had so many comments, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when I was promoting my book, Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World, you know, I did a big push in that first week, which is what drove it onto the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the USA Today list. But most of that happened because we mobilized people through email and generated that initial burst of traffic.
0: Well, um, Michael, this is... Man, a half an hour already. We've we've just blown through um, really a lot of great stuff here. And I hope everybody has taken notes. Um, you have some incredible insight that you've been sharing. And where can people learn more about you if they want to follow you or your blog or your book?
1: Well, thanks for asking. Um, michaelhyatt.com. I mean, it's all there. I do have a podcast, as you mentioned, called This Is Your Life. You can get to it on iTunes, but you can also get uh, to it through Michaelhyatt.com. But everything I have to offer is there on my blog. That is the central hub, or as I call it in the book, my home base, and everything emanates from there.
0: Michael Hyatt, thank you so much for taking time out of your very valuable day to join us today on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Well, I hope you took lots of notes. And if you haven't, you probably got a million different ideas in your mind from the interview with Michael. If you're out and about, don't worry about it because we've got everything documented at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 17. Also, if you have enjoyed this podcast, I would be so indebted to you if you wouldn't mind letting your friends know about it. And the easiest way to do that is to visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash love. That'll go ahead and prep a tweet right into your Twitter feed and help us get the word out. Thank you. Uh, This does bring us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. If you like what you've heard, do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give us a rating and a review, and also feel free to subscribe to the podcast. I hope you make the absolute best of your day, and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.